0: for me this is my career I'm a mom as well and a wife but I love what I do, I love my job you have to be in control of your life and you have to be aware of you know, your health and you know, your well-being and your sanity and particularly when you're about to give birth Perfection is not the aspiration. Doing the best you can, it should be the aspiration.
1: Welcome to the latest episode of Rewire, a podcast brought to you by EG with the aim of rewiring the real estate industry one story at a time. Through this podcast we'll be looking at all things diversity and inclusion from gender, ethnicity, background, sexuality to diversity of thought and the diverse range of roles available within the built environment. I'm your host Sam McLeary, and joining me today is Kate Vine, a Principal at Architects Perkins and Will. Now, Kate is a woman who not only has to manage a team of boys at home. Uh, with another one looking very close to arrival here in the podcast studio, (laughs) which is um, mildly uh, um, scary for me. (laughs) Um, But she's also a woman who's tasked with helping to change the way that developers think about architects in real estate. But before we get to know how Kate is rewiring developers' view of her profession... Let's find out a little bit more about her. Hi, Kate. Hello. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Good. Good. Thanks. Um. So people um listening will um hear that that's not a um a plummy British accent. No. There. So um tell us a little bit about. you? Where you're from? How you ended up here?
0: Okay. Well, I'm. Yeah, I'm definitely not from Leeds or Manchester. <laughs> um, I am uh, North American, although my husband calls me a because I have this kind of mixed accent. I but like um, American, I think I'm gonna trademark that. Mm-hmm. Hashtag um, it. Hashtag it. Definitely. So yeah, no, I'm from America. I was born in New York City um, on the Upper East Side. Um, when I was little, I actually lived in London and learned to speak, and I had a British accent, which mm comes out occasionally a cockney accent no it was more kind of queen's english accent and then my older brother actually who went to school in south london had this very kind of rough south london accent so the two of us together were yeah we we sounded like we were adopted from different families (laughs) um but yeah no so i was born in new york lived in london for a bit um went to school in connecticut and kind of spent my formative years in connecticut um And then I went to university in upstate New York um, to a private liberal arts college which was very much focused on fine art and my background originally was in fine art. Um, My major at my university was uh, ceramics and textiles so I very much focused on the kind of craft side, the processed craft side of things. Um, And then when I graduated, I ended up uh, working for... A Swedish tapestry weaver for a year. As you do. As you do. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to shorten this story and make it as concise as possible. (laughs) Um, I did that for a year. It was amazing. She was an incredible woman um, originally from Stockholm uh, and did these very large-scale tapestries which was part of my major at uni and it was something I thought I wanted to do. Um, And then I ended up working for an interior designer in parallel to that so I was kind of apprenticing with this tapestry weaver. And then working with an interior designer in Connecticut um, and ended up, do you want me to keep going? Keep yeah, going. no, okay. it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. You're weaving um, the story. I, I tried, like it. Yeah, exactly. It's like a fabric, the tapestry of my life. Uh-huh. Um, and Helena, the tapestry weaver, her husband, Niels Diffriant, was a, an American industrial designer. He used to work for Knoll. Uh, and also Human Scale, who were product designers for commercial interiors. And I started to meet some of, you know, through my interior design experience with my um, my other job. And then also with Niels and his friends and, you know, some of the designers that were coming through the studio. Um, I just f- started to fall in love with interiors and ended up moving to New York City and then studying interior architecture. And that was, oh my gosh, that was in 2000 and two or three I think I finished my uni my graduate degree in interiors and moved to London in 2004 Um, one of the reasons I moved here was because at the time design in New York was interesting there were things that were happening commercial interiors was really interesting Um, but I saw some of the things that were happening in Europe um, particularly London Italy um, France and Germany and, and I said to myself you know I might as well just get a student visa or a, a visa if I could and go over and work for a bit and see if I like it.
1: And what were some of those things that, that caught your eye?
0: Um, they're just I think European design is is kind of pushing the bound, or it was pushing the boundaries more than than U.S. design. U.S. design was very um, standardized it was kind of formulaic. Um, I worked for a lot of big, because uh, I also worked while I was at graduate school, and I worked with a lot of large corporations, banks, law firms, um, you know, commercial companies where they'd literally give you a book and say you need to design from this. This is our standards. These are our, you know, um, guidelines. There was no sense of creativity or flair or interest. Um, so coming to Europe was really. Eye-opening, uh, and there was a lot more freedom and and liberties around, you know, how to design and how to approach design. So, yeah, that was it. I thought I'd be here for two years, and this is now my fifteenth year <laughs> of being in London. So, um, and I joined Pringle Brandon uh, about three months after I moved here in two thousand and four, and Pringle Brandon evolved, and we merged with Perkinson Will about gosh it must be seven years ago now so it's all kind of come to that so yeah and I've been with them ever since so I've been with them for yeah almost 15 years
1: fantastic and 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 looking through um your CV during your your time over here you've you've certainly been involved with some exciting projects any any highlights for you thus far
0: oh wow there have been loads um I think for me my career's changed a little bit so I started out doing design pure design and being, a, you know, starting out as a kind of intermediate senior designer and running projects. And then in 2007, I started working with Microsoft. And at the time, they were doing something really kind of innovative with workplace and workplace strategy and agile working in particular. Um, and kind of this activity-based working approach. And I really tapped into that and worked with them for about 10 years and did a number of projects with them. Um, some were fantastically, you know, exciting and award-winning BCO awards and, you know, some were more challenging than others. Um, so I think that was really pivotal for me. It really kind of changed my focus and made me realize that, yes, design is is obviously really important, but the way people interact with space and the strategy and the approach to to a working environment is actually sometimes actually more important and getting that right kind of sets the tone for the design and lets the design kind of come in its own if you like um so that was that that was a highlight i think is is that interaction with microsoft
1: and, and that's something that people you know talk about a, a lot now isn't it The sort of um the use of the the space rather than just the look, the look of the space yes yeah. and and how for you how have you seen that that change and Are enough people getting the value of that and and what what you guys as as designers as architects can can do to bring that to buildings yeah
0: I mean I think uh, clients approach to design and their interiors has changed massively in the last 15 20 years Um, when I first started it was as I said very kind of formulaic and um, people just they had a lease break they needed to move uh, they would just put in some nice furniture and some nice furnishings, and they say, "Right, job's done. You know, walk away. We'll leave it for the next ten years and do something else." But I think clients are now much more educated, and they're much more in tune with their staff, and they understand that their staff need, you know, a healthy working environment. I think the the concept of well is you know massive for us and trying to implement it, but also for clients. Um, the other part of the build process is sustainability as well in terms of buildings and and how long buildings are going to be there for in terms of resilience, but also, um, you know, are they endangering the environment or are they actually doing something that's advantageous so i think what we try and do is we work as advisors to clients because they are much more educated now and try and guide them in the right way and and help them through the process as opposed to you know us leading the design and and really kind of taking charge of it it's more of a partnership i think
1: has, has that taken um you know if people needed to change their perception i suppose you know that we're, we're in this podcast talking about um, diversity and 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 you know that not just being what people might think of the traditional world, um or traditional meaning, you know, it's div- diversity of of players in this market and the way that people think. Yeah. So, has that been a a challenge? I suppose to get um, a development community or maybe an occupational community to think of of architects not just the people who you know expensive people maybe who make uh, um, buildings look pretty and actually as as partners have you said that can help to deliver um, on the business strategy uh, on making buildings profitable which is you know at the end of the day that's the, the bottom business, line. isn't it yeah. yes
0: yeah I think there is there are some developers out there that are doing I, I guess you could say the right thing you know they're thinking about you know they're thinking about the building from the inside out and not necessarily from the outside in. And they're not just thinking about, you know, churning a, a concept or um, churning an idea and and spitting it out again and selling it for the, to the highest bidder. A lot of the developers now are actually thinking, well, what can I give back? How can I retain people in this building for longer? Um, you know, for example, Derwent, um, If you look at the White Collar Factory, that's a great example of you know, how can I create a community within the city, within a building um, that offers, you know, a lot back to the people and, and the inhabitants of that building. Um, 22 Bishopsgate is another great example of that. They are, you know, it's a, it's a, they call it a vertical city. So, you know, there's various levels of intervention in terms of what the users in the building can use and, and access and it's, you know, meant to be one of the smartest buildings in the world and all of that. So there are a lot of developers that are there and, and are seeing, architects and designers as their partners you know how can we push this concept forward how can we be more innovative but I would say that there are still developers out there that say you know well let's put in the most cost-effective lighting and let's you know go with the the the, you know minimum amount that they need to do from a sustainable and a kind of you know uh, British uh, Council for Offices standards so it's, it's a balance. I think everyone's going to get there eventually, but I think there's still, you know, this resistance because of money and because of being able to sell a property, particularly in today's market, you know, with our, today's a, a pretty exciting day <laughs> in government, you know, what's going to happen with that and people are, you know, slightly nervous and they're not sure and, you know, they always go back to what's safe and what's, you know, dependable or reliable. So we're always trying to coax them out of that concept or that thinking.
1: Do you think there'll be um, some sort of trigger that will enable those um, those developers maybe that are um, lagging a little, let's um, try and be polite, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, um, that will force them to say, actually, we, sh- we need to be looking at this as well. And it's not always about cost effective. It's about making the building effective
0: for the people in it yeah triggers I think this is terrible to say but I think what will trigger it is some sort of mandate you know I think in terms of the government turning around and saying you have to comply with this I mean even the BCO and you know arguably Briam and LEED and all these kind of well building they're all guidelines you don't have to follow them you don't have to get an accreditation there isn't something that is you know mandating you to to design or work in a certain way and until you know they're really held you know to the fire that they have to comply I think sometimes that's what take what will take a developer to that point Um, but fortunately there are more people actually kind of getting on board with it than you know the the I call them like dinosaurs if you like and even some of the ones that we work with now uh who you wouldn't think are thinking in a kind of more innovative way or starting to think that way because they have to compete as well so I think it's either mandates or laws coming into play but it's also sort of if you like peer pressure mm. uh, and and being able to sell their asset and and push it on through to to end users.
1: I guess customer is king, isn't it? Absolutely. If the customer is demanding, then absolutely, people have to respond. Exactly. And, and um, how about in terms of it, your peers? I mean, obviously, um, you guys at Perkins and um, Will are, are pushing um, your clients to um, adapt and evolve. Are you seeing the same among the architecture community as a whole?
0: Absolutely. I think it's always a challenge because you always, as an architect designer, you want a USP. You want something that's going to set you apart from everyone else. And Perkinson, well, you know, we're sustainably led. We have a huge foundation of research. Um, You know, design is obviously at the heart of what we do. But if you look at, you know, any other website or, you know, pitch from another architect, they're all we're all kind of saying the same things. So. Yeah, I think there there is, you know, I think our peer, my peers are, are are thinking the same way, I think particularly around the environment and being, you know, careful and selective in terms of what we do and what we execute and what we deliver. Uh, I, I think where there are some bigger firms that have, you know, a little bit more support or a network, they are, you know, making leaps and bounds and doing things very quickly, whereas some of maybe the smaller, more independent ones... You know, they can't necessarily do that straight away, but I think they aspire to. Excellent.
1: Let, let's talk about work and um, uh, how you do it, I suppose. Um, you, uh, to, just talk, talking and listening to you now, you know you're obviously a busy busy lady. You uh, You obviously are highly ambitious and uh, want to do a, a, a great job by, by your clients. And, and for the firm, um, you are obviously... Um, also, a, a mother, <laughs> uh, and uh, and soon to be again. Yes. Um, how how do you balance all that? And and I guess
0: why do you balance all that? Why? why? I think for me. I don't know, I think I've always been that type of person that is always looking ahead. you know what's what's next? How can I challenge myself? How can and that sounds really cliche, but uh, you know I can't I can't sit still, you know, ask my husband, you know, even at home, I'm always pottering about and you know doing something or reorganizing something or trying to figure out a way to to make things better. And I think I've always been that way. And I think you know, I've always been a plate spinner. I've always had multiple things um, going at the same time, otherwise I kind of get bored. So, and I think my mother even said that when I was little, that I was always that type of kid that was like, well, I want to learn that and I want to do that and I want to do this and can I do that as well? And my mom's like, just, you know, be selective, but I can't, I can't kind of sit still. I'm I'm thirsty for, you know, a new challenge and excitement and, um, but it's not, it's not easy. It's not the most easy thing to do, but... Somehow I I don't know, I as I say here, a muddle through, I think <laughs> is the <laughs> is the term. But
1: and how um supportive um has the industry as a as a whole been and and um your company as well and, and how important is that support?
0: In terms of work life and yeah. motherhood and all that. I yeah. mean I think our our firm is particularly Uh, unique in that from when I very I think when I first started in 2004 there were two directors that uh, both had kids so there was there's a kind of senior leadership team uh, that was about 50 50 male female which is actually quite rare Mm -hmm. Um, I say back then but back then and they were very understanding and very receptive uh, to the point that one of the the principals, the partners that um, started the firm, that we'd won a massive project in London. And uh, one of the mothers was working four days a week. And, and even, you know, 15 years ago, that was kind of flexible working wasn't, you know, a big thing. Now Now it's very much accepted and absolutely fine. And the client of this big project had an issue with the fact that she wasn't in on Fridays. And the partner, I heard the story, he he's told the story and, you know, he's very proud of this. We're all very proud of this. But he said, you know, that's um, that's too bad. You know, that's what we've agreed and that's what works with her life. And if you're not happy with it and, you know, I mean, this was like the biggest project in London at the time. And, you know, it was a coup that we we wanted, and we were all very excited. And he very much dug his heels in and said, no, you know, we have to respect that you know she's got this knowledge and experience and she's bringing so much to the table she doesn't have to be here five days a week you know that's absolutely acceptable and that's that's the theme and that's been the tone ever since so for me getting pregnant and particularly the second time now I'm nine months pregnant now I'm like three weeks away from from number two please keep it at three weeks. I know I'm trying I'm crossing my legs (laughs) um but they they absolutely respect that and they you know they value that um within my firm I'd say as an industry uh, in an industry as a whole it's getting better slowly uh it's still what is it 14 percent female I Mm. think something like that um because there isn't necessarily the support that I've gotten at my firm, um, which is kind of sad because the women that I work with now and, you know, equally the men, I'm not, you know, discriminatory, but they add tremendous amount of value. And if they can't come back to the industry and do what they love and be part of what they love, then it's it's kind of a shame. It is a shame. And yeah. for me this is my career. This is my you know, I'm a mom as well and a wife, but I love what I do. I love my job. And I and I get up every morning and I'm excited to to get you know back to what I what I really love,
1: and if you want it all, why not why not have it all? Exactly, exactly. I think that that's um, really heartwarming to hear that that story because I do, um, in this little room, quite often hear people talking about, oh well, I can't you know, I I can't do that because the client demands the client demands, and being able to push back and say, well, actually, if you want the best. She's the best and you can have a Monday to Thursday, but yes, not yeah. on Friday and, yes. and being secure enough and, um, confident enough to, to push back like that is, is really something. And I, and I hope that all of the firms, uh, listening to this podcast follow, Please. follow, follow that, um, yeah. example. Cause, uh, that's how we make the change, isn't it? Those, those little, little things all add up and, and hopefully in the future we'll have a, a, uh, much more. Uh, balanced uh, workforce with amazing people in it
0: absolutely and I think that just to add to that as well just for my son my son's my, my first son's very little he's three and a half and you know I've never really felt that that guilt of putting him into nursery now that sounds maybe really horrible and all the mothers out there are probably thinking oh there's something wrong with her <laughs> but you know he's living his life and I'm living my life and I think he will have more respect for me because I continued with my career and You know, and because of, because I love what I do, you know, I think that that kind of understanding and, you know, aspiration and and respect for women as well, when he gets older, I think will be very important.
1: And I I, um, suppose probably really beneficial to him to see how much you love what you do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's a... Um, that's going to teach him to find a job that he loves yeah, to do as well. Or work can be fun. Yeah,
0: yeah sometimes. <laughs> sometimes.
1: <laughs> hey, this is fun. Yeah, so, exactly. Know, none exactly. of us can complain. Um, so I guess to round us off, what are you going to do to switch off for a little bit? And then what's what's your um, sort of top tip for anyone returning afterwards?
0: Ooh, so you're talking about pre and post. Yeah. So pre, I think... I've learned in the last four or five years that life goes on without you or work goes on without you. Uh, I think if you'd asked me that question five years ago, I would have had this little panicked look on my face and I'd be sweating slightly. Like, you know, I couldn't let something go or, but I will switch off and I will, you know, turn my phone off. There are a couple little things that might hang over until early next week, but you have to be in control of your life and you have to be aware of you know your health and you know your well-being and your sanity and particularly when you're about to give birth you really have to be centered and relaxed and that's very much what I'm going to be doing over the next few weeks I think there's a really lovely um, spa down the road from our new house in Kent which I will be a regular at Um, and then returning to work I think the and you always hear about the mom guilt. I don't know if that's something that you've heard you know, before, you know, this guilt that you're not doing well enough at work or well enough at home or well enough with your husband or your friends and everything like that. And I think my my little tidbit of advice is just put all that noise out of your head and just do the best that you can do on a daily basis. If you do one thing on your to do list, you've achieved something. And, you know, sometimes things are going to fall by the wayside and you're not going to be perfect at everything. I think that's perfection is not the aspiration. Doing the best you can, it should be the aspiration. That
1: is perfect advice. And if anyone can even tick off one thing on their to-do list, I think you're a winner (laughs) um, because I fail at that all the time. (laughs) We all do. We all do. (laughs) Okay, thanks so much for joining us.